Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 to 4. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to all your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. The word of the Lord. gospel reading is taken from Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home, puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, or at midnight, or at dawn, or else he will find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The Gospel of Christ. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, our strength, and our Redeemer, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would wake us up, wake us up to your goodness and your glory. Amen. So I don't know how many of you follow the satirical newspaper turned online magazine, The Onion. Do we have any Onion fans out here? Onion, yes. One of my, 
One of my favorite pieces they've ever put together is titled, Christian Groups Say Biblical Armageddon Must Be Taught Alongside Global Warming. Biblical Armageddon Must Be Taught Alongside Global Warming. As I said, it is a satirical website. It's a, it's, it's a joke. Okay. So in it, an atheist guy argues against teaching biblical Armageddon alongside global warming. And a Christian lady argues for teaching biblical Armageddon alongside global warming. At one point, the lady says this, we say pose both theories simply as questions. Are we doomed because of our moral sins or because of our pollution? Let the children answer for themselves. Then an eight-year-old or so is interviewed. Some people, he says, some people think that the world's going to end by, the world's going to be going to heat up and we're all going to be baked alive. But other people think a monster with seven heads is going to come out and rip us apart. I'm still deciding. <laughs> so obviously being baked alive, being global warming, and the monster reference to the book of Revelation. Okay. Now it's obviously a spoof on the teaching of biblical creationism in school alongside evolution, but I think it makes a clever point. The point being that it's not just religious fundamentalists who have the end of the world on their minds these days. It's everybody. Everybody has the world, end of the world, on their minds these days. I was talking to my dad on the phone, and we got into the subject of wars in Ukraine and Gaza, then he considered all of our other various crises from the pandemic to climate change to homelessness. And he said, flatly, it just seems like the world is going to hell. And my dad is not a particularly religious person, nor is he a particularly secular person. I don't know about you, but I, but I know that growing up, I had this sense of optimism about the future, that things would just keep getting better, that longer lives, fewer wars, more prosperity, not so much now. Now we're anxious, we're scared for our own future and the future of our children, the future of the world, whether we're going to be struck down by, by disease, blown up, baked alive by the sun, or devoured by a seven-headed beast, the end of the world seems to be on our minds, whether we believe in God or no God, the end of the world seems to be right there in front of us all the time. Now, why am I bringing this up? I mean, why am I bringing up the onion or the apocalypse altogether? I mean, I thought that this was the feel-good Christmas season. Well, today is Apocalypse Day in the Christian year. We started the service with, My Lord, what a morning when the stars begin to fall, and followed it up with, Lo, he comes with clouds descending. That's because the lectionary, the collection of weekly biblical passages shared by churches throughout the world, always begins the season of Advent with an apocalyptic passage from one of the Gospels. And you just heard it read from Mark's Gospel, and here it is again. But in those days, Jesus says, but in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give off its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken 
Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of heaven. Now this text is often referred to as the little apocalypse, the little one. Black sun and moon, stars dropping, Jesus coming. Maybe the onion could add it to the public school curriculum, maybe, if if that's what they're up to. It's apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic for sure, but not exactly how we usually understand the word apocalyptic, though. You see, when we think apocalypse, we usually just think flat out the end of the world, like we think like the walking dead, you know, there's limited resources and we'll all fight it out and duke it out until the end, usually in some kind of terrifying fashion, but, but not here in this particular place in the scripture. Before this passage, Jesus was talking all about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. He's just predicted that the temple is going to come tumbling down, brick by brick, one after the other. Now, why is that such a big deal? I mean, it's just a building, right? Why is it such a big deal that a building is going to fall down? Well, because the temple, it's the beating heart, the center of religious life for Jesus' people. It's where the sacrifices demanded by Scripture for the forgiveness of sins are performed. It's where God's presence is encountered in a special, spatial way. In fact, it's even the economic engine of the nation. Pilgrimages bring cash and donations from every corner of the earth. And it's a symbol of national identity. It's like the White House, right? It's like the Kremlin. It's like the Sphinx. It's a symbol of national identity. It's the core institution of life. And the last time the temple was destroyed, the Babylonians raped and pillaged the nation, then dragged its people into exile. The destruction of the temple is a big deal. When Jesus prophesied the end of the temple, he was predicting a time of great chaos and anxiety, a time of great suffering and tremendous persecution. Though the end of the temple wouldn't literally mean the end of the world, it would be the end, you know, in the words of, of R.E.M., the end of the world as we know it. And nobody would feel fine, if you know that song, but maybe you don't. Their world was about to come crashing down, and Jesus said it was going to happen. Now, what makes all of this apocalyptic then? if it's not the literal end of the world, if the zombies aren't coming out and ready to eat. Well, the Greek word apocalypse simply means unveiling. It means unveiling. I mean, remember the Wizard of Oz? You know, how the wizard spoke as this great, giant, terrifying head, but then Dorothy's dog Toto pulled the curtain back, revealing that he was just a little guy with a projector and a microphone? Remember that? That was a literal apocalypse. It was an unveiling, the curtain being drawn back and the truth revealed. And here Jesus is saying that the fall of the temple is like that. It's an unveiling, though it's not a literal unveiling in the same way that the Wizard of Oz was. That the curtain of reality itself is going to be torn open. There will be signs in the heavens and signs on the earth, but they won't be signs that point to destruction, Jesus says. There will be destruction. 
They won't be signs that point to destruction, but rather they are signs that will point to something that is ultimately good. Ultimately good. The coming of the Son of Man. Here Jesus is using an image from the book of Daniel, another great apocalyptic text. In Daniel, this figure called the Son of Man, the agent of God, is said to take his seat on the throne of creation, signifying the defeat of empires and the fallen powers of the world, justice done throughout creation, the ultimate victory of God. Jesus applies this image of the Son of Man to himself. To himself. Rather than seeing the destruction of the temple as a sign of terror, rather than giving in to despair at persecution and giving up his hope, his followers are to see it all as an apocalypse. As an apocalypse. They are to see the fall of the temple, which happened, by the way, happened as Jesus said it would. The fall of the temple is an unveiling of God's grace. They are to see through all the fear and the terror of the present moment and see a confirmation, see a vindication that Jesus is who he says he is and that no matter what happens, God is going to get what God wants. Though heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, my words will not pass away. My words aren't going anywhere. Though the whole universe may fritter into nothing, Jesus says, in the face of nothing, my word is everything. My word will last forever. My word will last forever. My word will last beyond everything else. You see, we aren't the first people to think that the world's going to end. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we're not going to be the last ones who think that the world's going to end either. I mean, we could be the last ones, I guess. After all, Jesus says that even the angels neither know the time nor the hour. Could be the end, who knows? Not even Jesus himself knows, our text says but the Father alone. If anything, we should be skeptical of anybody who says that they do know for sure could be the end of the world, I guess. Regardless of if it is or not, though, regardless of when or how the end might come, whether tomorrow or when the sun finally burns out, when the universe goes cold years and years and years from now, or beyond. The point of this scripture is ultimately this. It's ultimately this. That when the end does come, no matter what the world might throw at us, we ultimately have nothing to fear. I mean, Jesus says, the phrase that he says the most in the scriptures is, be not afraid, assuming that we will be and need to be reminded over and over and over again. 
we have nothing to fear because in Jesus Christ we have been given an apocalyptic promise, a word from beyond the veil of what we can see and experience, what we can hear on the news. And the promise is this, the promise is this, that the same God who came to us in the manger at Christmas, the same God who in Christ fed the multitudes, walked on the Sea of Galilee and turned water into wine, the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world and was raised again on the third day, the same one who prophesied rightly that the Jerusalem temple would fall, this God is seated on the throne of creation. This God is the Lord of all history. This God promises that he will complete the work he began in Christ. So let heaven and nature sing. That is the promise. Perhaps a promise that is unbelievable, unbelievable to some. Maybe it's unbelievable to you. Maybe it's too good to be true, as they say. But I wager that if it is true, if it is true, then it's far more beautiful and exciting in my mind to any other alternative that even the end of our lives, your life, my life, even the end of our societies, the end of everything we hold dear, even if we're all burned up by the sun or the little monster thing, even the end of the world isn't the end of God, but only the beginning. The end of the world isn't the end of God, but only the beginning. This season, dear friends, the Christian year itself always begins with apocalypse. Why? Because the Lord knows us and knows our fears and our anxieties. He knows your fears and your anxieties. Whether you're worried about getting scorched by the sun or torn apart by a seven-horned beast, whether another war melts your soul or a cancer diagnosis darkens your days, he knows that like the earliest Christians, we too can look at the darkness and difficulty in our world and see them as signs of nothing but more hopelessness, more of the same. He knows that we need to, in Jesus' words, keep awake because it's far too easy to fall asleep, to give in to that great slumber of despair. But Advent begins apocalyptically because God knows that we need to see underneath it all. You and I, we need to be able to see through it all and to be able to see the truth. And that when we do, what we see is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that though the stars may fall, the sun may burn out, though the entire universe might shake loose from its foundations, in Christ we stand on solid ground. Though heaven and earth may pass away from beginning to end, our lives are in God's good keeping. We need not give in to fear, but instead give our lives over to love, to 
be awake and ready to serve every day with the promise of God's grace because this is our Father's world. Oh, let us ne'er forget that though the wrong oft seems so strong, it's God who is the ruler yet. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.